Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash complete developer podcast. This episode is brought to you by Junior Developer Toolbox. Amaze your friends with stories about JavaScript and craft beer. Listen to Dave and Aaron discuss their experiences as junior developers. On April 1st, we do a special episode that is a little different than our normal episodes. This year, we'll discuss things programmers can learn about life from reading Grimm's fairy tales. It's important to note that we're not doing this based on the Disney versions, but instead based on the older, less friendly versions. Fairy tales were designed to impart life lessons along with being entertaining. Before we get started, though, Will, what have you been fighting this week? I have been fighting whale songs from my digestive tract. (laughs) not kidding guys oh, oh my goodness um, i'm hoping none of them come up on <laughs> this track i'm so sorry i don't know what's going on i'm i'm serious like i bet i could get in the cumberland river right now and like a, a freaking orca would show up <laughs> i mean it's awful i don't know um i don't know what's going on this is the second one we've recorded tonight so like i don't really have anything new to add no like like seriously if if you were on star trek 5 yeah, they they wouldn't have had to go back in time. Yeah, <laughs> they would have just had the transparent aluminum tank. Here you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I'm fighting this week. How about you? Well, um, so it's interesting that we're recording our April first episode this week, as I've been doing something a little different than normal the past week. I finished the API work that I had to do early for the sprint. Um, thanks in large part to using a tool that I'm trying to talk my boss into purchasing for us. And uh, so I've had my head down in Angular all week long. It's been a fun challenge as I had to do some array manipulation that was a bit difficult since JavaScript isn't like C-sharp and changes the index as you manipulate an array. So I couldn't iterate through and remove items easily because the index changed. And some would get removed, but others wouldn't. It, It was... It took our front-end senior developer looking at my code going, that's not doing what you think it's doing. It's not like C-sharp. Where that, it loads up a enumerable right. and goes through that. Yeah, and, and so it, it took a little while. I had to restructure the way I wrote my code because I couldn't write in the same format as I would write my C-sharp. On a slightly happier note, it's crawfish season, y'all. I went to my first crawfish boil of the season. Uh, I was, I'll be honest, I was a little disappointed. It wasn't quite spicy enough, but the beer was great. Also, happy Easter to those celebrating it. Uh, this is coming out on Easter. So I've got something Easter related for IOTs, something you can do possibly next year for Easter. So I have a project for the IoT Eggbot to paint your Easter eggs. And this project combines a few of my favorite things, Raspberry Pi, robots, and Sharpies. A fun project for you and the kids to do is to take a Raspberry Pi 
and add it to the Eggbot so that it can control it and you don't have to hook it up to a computer. Um, this starts with a kit that you get from Evil Mad Science to build an Eggbot. And for real IOTsers, you can build your own Eggbot from old printer parts. The tutorial mentions that, though it doesn't go into how to do that. So you that sounds rather out. disturbing. I'm thinking like a like an, one of those old printers with a ribbon. <laughs> <laughs> how are you gonna? Okay, yeah, go try that. Yeah, let <laughs> me know how that works. Well, you're you're thinking a typewriter with a, a ribbon, like yeah, this no, is like, like the, the old dot matrix, like oh, <laughs> yeah, no, no, not not that old <laughs> printer, but yeah. Like it's it's more the the pieces that move back and forth. The thing that goes up. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so you know that's not part of the tutorial or the project, but it is something you could do. The idea with this project is that instead of connecting the Eggbot to a computer, you can use the Raspberry Pi that is then attached to the robot. It's a fun idea, something you can do with the kids, especially if you don't enjoy painting eggs yourself. So who's talking to us this week? Well, we grabbed an email from Mark. said, thank you for the awesome show. I have really appreciated the helpful advice and passion that you guys display for your craft. I'm in St. Louis and working on becoming a Java developer after working in music education. I have a ton of work ahead of me to build my skills, and you guys have provided great guidance and inspiration. Thank you so much. One note, sometimes the outro music can overpower the last few thoughts of the speaker. Maybe that can come in more gradually. Wait, thanks, Mark. Um, I'll work on the ramp up to the outro music. There's actually some software that I've been wanting to purchase that will make it sound better. And this comment just gives me something to bring to our next business meeting <laughs> Yeah, when we talk about it. Because it is kind of expensive software. It's interesting that you, you work in music education. We have a friend that uh, went to the same college as us. He started, I think, Will's senior year, um, right towards the end of our time in college there, that was a music teacher that is now a programmer and actually does a talk at conferences on how music relates to code. So there's a lot of corollaries there. Well, one of my uh, mentors, Joe Aldette, um, you know, he actually for a while there sold uh, some stuff to, to help people learn how to play notes on the guitar and mm -hmm. the guitar. It's been, you know, it's been a few years, obviously, yeah. but there's a, there's a lot of overlap in the, I guess the brain patterns of yeah. musicians and, and developers, even if not necessarily the practices. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Since this is a special episode, I think Mark deserves a special reward for providing the comment for us. What do you think, Will? Sure. All right, Mark, send us an email with your contact information, because we got something special for you that uh, we'll decide on later. Maybe a t-shirt, maybe something else, but something, something unique for this uh, unique episode. Guys, if you'd like your very own Complete Developer water bottle... Leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Google+. We're also on Path and Tumblr, as well as Instagram and now YouTube. Check us out each week on Facebook Live, Twitter Live, Periscope, and YouTube Live. We just added that one, where we discuss what's going on in the tech community and answer a few listener questions. You can join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Back in the day, before the time of television and other digital media, children's stories were told to help the children navigate their path towards adulthood. Unlike today, where an extended period of adolescence is common, our forebears experienced a world that was much harsher, where the transition between childhood and adulthood occurred much more quickly and where mistakes were much more dangerous. In short... 
Whether the tale was told at the campfire's edge or by candlelight in a darkened Victorian house, it still served an important cultural purpose. At Complete Developer Podcast, we would argue that the utility of this approach has not been lessened by modern conveniences and that there are a lot of important lessons in fairy tales that are still useful as metaphors for modern software development and whose understanding is sorely needed. So we mentioned in the intro that we're not talking about the Disney version of these fairy tales. Grimm's fairy tales are grittier and probably better teaching tools than most Disney movies. Right. I've never seen a Grimm's fairy tale inspire somebody to walk up to a herd of bison in Yellowstone Park. Disney does have a tendency to sanitize things. Uh, They also are trying to mass market things, which doesn't really mesh with the original intent. At the time these stories were first told, it was understood that the real world had shades of gray in everything. The things cheerfully portrayed in Disney movies had a very different connotation back then. For example, in the medieval stories, children were often stolen by fairies and replaced with changelings. Mermaids would lure you into the water, drown you, and eat you. And genies were tricksters who would grant wishes in a way that would destroy you. It's like that uh, movie. It's a horror movie where your wishes get granted, but they are not what you expect. Yeah. And that's what the, uh, you know, the tales with the, the mm-hmm. genies, um, you know, that's kind of the way those were. Um, in other words, the world was understood to be a dangerous place with both a high level of risk and opportunities for rewards. There isn't always a happy ending in these stories, but things aren't as bleak as more modern tales like Game of Thrones or Walking Dead. The real point of a campfire tale, fairy tale, or cultural legend is to instruct the youth while keeping the fear in a safe context. It's to prepare them for the real world. Uh, That preparation involved giving them the ability and examples to ascertain what was really going on rather than relying on hope and trust. It also gave examples of how to overcome and outthink adversity when put to the test. Fairy tales also serve to give a shared mythology to the tribe and allow one to learn about other groups of people. Shared mythology is a shared vocabulary. For instance, it's pretty easy for most people familiar with Star Wars to understand what is meant by resisting the dark side, or most people familiar with Tolkien to understand tossing the ring into the fire, because both mean not letting your ego destroy you. It's also a way to get a little peek into other people's worldview. You might reasonably expect someone who grew up on John Wayne to have a different approach to problem solving than someone who grew up on Harry Potter. And they should. Yeah. People tell you a lot about themselves when they tell you what stories they like. And I'm super duper judgmental sometimes on those two <laughs> because I know, I know what goes with certain stories. Like the worldview that tends to pop out. And I know mine comes out too, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to break these things down into stuff you can teach your children, stuff you should understand about your own life in general, and stuff that applies in code. We'll just go over five stories that we think had particularly useful lessons for both children and adults, and whose lessons are often forgotten by software developers in general. So the first one we're going to talk about is the three little pigs. Now, the general principle behind this is to learn to invest wisely and prepare for disaster. It's important to remember that the wolf still destroyed two houses, and most forms of disaster are not a one-off, no matter how much we'd like them to be. Right. Because, you know, it wasn't just one incident with a wolf. Like, he'd done that before. Well, it, it's... Even like, outside the story. Like, I, I think of 
having lived down in New Orleans, hurricanes. Yeah. And, you know, everybody thinks of Katrina as a big, massive event. And it was not Katrina as in a single hurricane. It was that they had gotten pounded several times before. And then that was the big one that hit them dead on. Yeah. So the the prime example for kids is, you know, preparing in advance for likely trouble is wise and requires effort up front. It's too late when the wolf is at your door and only the prepared can weather the storm. Decisions in late childhood, adolescence, and even early adulthood reverberate for the rest of your life. Beej and I both have friends who are dead, who are rich, who are happy, or who are miserable because of decisions that they made a long time ago and a series of either disasters or surviving disasters that came from that. For adults, the message is to get your financial, physical, and mental house in order. The time to get debt under control is before it becomes a problem. Your health and personal relationships must also be maintained to weather life storms before they get bad. Yeah, you you want to be prepared for the things that are coming. And even when you get knocked all the way down, which has happened to me. Yeah. You know, I had in a way prepared for that by building the relationships and the friendships that I did that were there for me while I still clawed my way out. They were there to throw a rope. Well, you weren't, you know, the thing is, is you didn't, you didn't throw away your friendships to go away to med school. Right. You weren't like, oh, I'm better than you. I'm going to med school. It's like, no, you're still beach. Yeah. And so when all that stuff broke loose, you still had friends. That's very true. And that's preparation before the fact. Uh, For software developers, uh, think about technical debt. Technical debt and brittle practices will tear your house down around you. Uh, It's too late when the risk is already obvious. You know, when you miss deadlines, when you can't deliver, you lose clients, those kind of things. You should always be trying to leave your code base better than when you found it. That's how you insure against these kind of problems. It's funny, I was having a conversation with my executive director today in the office about this because getting to work on the front end, I had mentioned how, you know, it was really nice because the way that our front end developer had structured it, I was able to go, oh, I need to find something and find it very quickly. I was saying, I really hope that the back end, my code, is like that as well. So if If he wants to learn that, he could come in and go, all right, I need to find this controller. Let me go look in the folder that says controllers because that's where it's supposed to be. You know, things are where they should be. Or I need to get to this service. Well, let me go to the folder that says services, you know, that kind of thing. And and I'm hoping that this way that I structured provides that. And I was was telling her about this and like, you know, because as we've been going along, I've been getting better as a developer and I've been making changes in the structure of my code to reflect that. And I try to go back and correct everything. And the few things that I can't, I have, you know, to do's on, you know, Hey, redo this in this format kind of thing. Yep. You know, you have to do preventative maintenance. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just kind of a basic thing. And it's, it's really, really important in software development because we can get away with stuff for a very long time. But what happens is, things change. You get a new client, for instance. You know, let's say most of your clients are, you know, $200,000 business and you get a $20 million business. All of a sudden, all your stuff has to scale. They have absolutely got control over your team. So you've got to add new features and things like that because you're going to lose a bunch of money if you don't. Mm -hmm. 
if you have got technical debt riddling your code, when that happens, you cannot hold up to it. The wolf is at your door. The house is going down. Your dinner. Sometimes very large, abrupt changes in business can happen, like Will was talking about. It's best not to be the housemate of straw when that occurs. Yeah. Either don't be there or <laughs> fix it. Right. The next story we're going to talk about is the Little Mermaid. So the general principle here is don't be afraid to venture outside of your comfort zone, but be aware that there might be a price for it. Right. Remember that the mermaid left the water, but she couldn't go back. Some decisions are permanent. And understand the consequences of what you do when you do it. It's interesting because I've recently been talking about watching Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood and the premise, and I won't ruin this for anybody because this happens at the very beginning, and this is what the show is about, is that these two brothers lose their mother. She dies of illness. And then they attempt what is human transmutation or bringing someone back from the dead. And in the process, one brother loses his leg um, and the other one loses his body. And the brother who lost his leg sacrifices his arm in the process of bonding his other brother's soul to a suit of armor. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And and it's it really gets into a lot of... Yeah, there's a lot of coming of age and a lot of like maturity type stuff here, but there's a lot of the sacrifices that they made. They, they learned a lesson and you know, that theme goes throughout the entire show to the very end. Um, especially the, the brotherhood one, because it is, you know, apparently it's closer to the original manga or, you know, Japanese graphic novel, but I would suggest you watch it because you know, you were talking about you you kind of judge people based on the stories that they like. Yeah. This is something I think you would like. <laughs> so lessons for kids. Um, you know, the determined can reach their goals if they are willing to pay the price. Sometimes the price is more dear than you would think. So you need to know what it is before you pay it. Mm-hmm. Making risky decisions is part of youth. Uh, it can work out well, but it's rarely ever free. Um, even though I really dislike living in the city, you know, I don't. I don't like all the noise. I don't like all the lights. Uh, I really, really hate traffic and having to pay for parking. Those are like my two. Those yeah. are the worst. I do like ethnic restaurants though, so there is that. But even even with all that, I took up a career path that basically requires me to live in a metropolitan area, and that decision can't be undone without cost. Right. I mean, I made the decision to go to med school, and then I made the decision to leave med school. Both of which had cost. Yeah. You know, I, I think that in the decision to leave, it was worth the cost. Yeah. Because the direction I went. Yeah, I think so too. And I, you know, I don't regret my career and living in the city, but it, what I cannot do is go, oh yeah, I made this decision and I want to be a, you know, software developer at my level doing the stuff I'm doing and live out in the sticks somewhere. Because that's not realistically something that can happen right now. It might be someday, but yeah, you're you're not there yet, right? I mean, you could eventually get to the point where you are doing remote work and you go in, you know, once or twice a month, right? Or I own my own company and make other people come to me. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's there was a cost mm-hmm. uh, equation there. Or you could like make less money and come work for the state. <laughs> Just saying, yeah. But yeah, I mean, the, the, you're right. There is a cost there, and what this is about is. 
understanding and making trade-offs. Right. For adults, uh, the lesson is to pursue your dreams, but have a realistic assessment of what those dreams will cost up front, including the things you lose by going after them. You cannot pursue every dream you have. Trust me, I've tried. Right. And you end up burnt out and failing at everything when you do that. Right. And, you know, you, you have to focus on something. Yeah. And, you know, I, I learned that in med school because I was, you know, I'm going to go to med school and I, you know, in grad school and undergrad, I had like 10 different things going on at once. Right. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go to med school. I might have five things going on at once. And I very, very quickly learned that I could have one thing yeah. and that was med school. Or I could not have med school. And that was it. Right. And, you know, I've been fighting this a lot lately because um, my daughter and I watched The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Like, I got the extended Blu-ray, like, crazy mm-hmm. edition that's, like, takes, like, 20 hours to go through all of it. And that made me want to write fiction again. <laughs> Big time. And I've been fighting that because, like, I can't right now. Have you thought about short stories? I have, but that's not what I want to do. Well, what I was, was going to say is you could write short stories in the same universe. And then it, write them with a purpose so that – because I've thought about this too. Yeah. And I've thought about, you know, I want to create a universe, write a bunch of short stories around it because The the Witcher, like that series of books that led to like a really great video game series came about from a bunch of short stories written in the same universe about a sim, like the same or like char- or like these characters that led to a a book and then longer things. You know, I, I think at some point I do want to do that, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, you remember how I was in college. I, yeah. I really enjoyed writing fiction, but I can't do it right now doing the podcast, having a full-time job, and this stuff is going towards goals that maybe someday will let me do that again. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I know, I'm, I'm really bad about trying to give, trying to get everything I want and trying to help people get everything they want. Yeah. And like, I'm like, all right, how can we combine these things? So we often hear people telling us that we can have it all. I, I know that women in the workplace especially get hit with this a lot because I've had a lot of female friends really talk about that. You know, oh, you can be the perfect mother and you can have this amazing career and an amazing uh, you know relationship with your husband. And, you know, you can be super duper fit and do, you know, all these other things. And then they try it and they can't because there's trade-offs. That's a really hard thing for adults even to understand. I mean, most adults really poorly weigh the cost of say eating a donut versus, you know, like the pleasure of eating a donut versus the pain of the caloric expenditure to burn that donut off. We're really great with mental gymnastics. Yeah. Calories don't count on the weekend. Or, uh, you know, the donut has less calories because it's got a hole in the middle. Although, you know, like it's like the bigger the hole gets, the bigger the donut is. But there's <laughs> less donut because there's a hole. Yeah. It's like there's, there's some kind of zen there, but you know, we can, we can work with that in our head, right? Like we play those games um, mm-hmm. and we, we want all the things and we can't have them. Uh, for developers, you might want to leave that stable good job for something that's more exciting uh, with more upside opportunity, but be aware that you can't go back uh, when you do that. Uh, so when you're doing career planning, it's really easy to base your plans on the avoidance of pain. Um, and you can see this with a lot of developers wanting to avoid getting into management because of the personal interaction, the paperwork, the meetings, that kind of stuff. And then at some point, they basically have put a ceiling on their salary. Going back to speaking with my manager, because we were, I was training and getting a new guy up and running today. So I had a lot of time just sitting around, just chatting while we were waiting on things to happen. 
uh, I was talking to her about things and I said, you know, at some point I'm considering going into management. And we were talking about it because she was a developer back in the COBOL days. Yep. And I was like, you know, there's Visual COBOL that you could do for vis- on Visual Studio. And she's like, I know. I've thought about it. But it's one of those things like I love solving the problem. But once I've solved it. Yeah, you're over it. Yeah, I'm, I'm over it. I'm ready to move on to the next one. I was like, yeah, that's one of the things that. It's like, that's why I'm constantly bringing new stuff in because I'll solve a problem and then it becomes a tedium. Yeah. It's like, all right, I've solved that problem. I just have to do the same thing uh, for the next set and the next set. Well, you've squeezed all the blood out of that turnip. Right. And and, and so what I want to do is bring in, all right, how can I automate it? How can I do this? Or how can I make it to where I can do more work with less effort? Right. Of course, saying these kind of things to your boss's boss. They like that attitude. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's like, I could see the smile on her face. And she's like, yeah. And she's like, I well, understand that's a developer. Yeah. She's like, I understand what you're saying. Cause I think the same way. Yeah. And, and that's then why at we get along point, so well. Yeah. Yeah. And at some point you get to the point where there isn't like the feels that you get from bringing the new stuff in. Like you're, you don't get the dopamine hit yeah. anymore. And now it's like, okay, how can I do something organizationally? And that's a whole nother set. Oh yeah. I'm, and, and, and so. I'm working my way up doing that and it's it's kind of exciting because when i first started it was all about just building the things yeah and being efficient and doing that good and doing that to the best of my ability now i've got that down and it's about all right how can i optimize that right and you know also how can i add things to it to make things like debugging easier so we brought in logging right and stuff like that so Going back to what you were talking about, about going into management or not doing that and having sort of a, a salary cap. On the other side of that, just going for the salary can bring in other problems. Yeah. Like w- several of the worst gigs I've had have been things that paid really well. Um, I quit a really good job with a really good boss and a really good team that I really liked for a $20,000 a year pay raise. And at that job, I got screamed at. Just it was constant stress. Um, I think I lasted like eight or nine months. I got terminated for insubordination Yeah. on on that one. And I went back to the place that I had worked and just was like hanging out with the guys, like went to lunch with them, but you know, there was no getting back in. Mm -hmm. And that's something that is, is a really hard lesson to learn, especially that way. And it wasn't because you burned bridges at the old place. It was just, they didn't have a spot. Yeah. That you had moved on, they had replaced you and And, it would be hard. It would be a lot of well, three of the managers from there have tried to hire me at different points, and I've tried to hire one of them. You know, so, you know, it's even. So, it, it reminds me of when I was working at the psych hospital and I needed to change what I was doing to, to match my schooling. Um, so, I, I left the, the area of the hospital I was working in for about three years, moved to another one to do part time, and then I wanted to go back full time. Well, I applied for the same position I'd had. Of course, this is my, my thing, anti-HR, because HR was like, you're not qualified for that position. I'm like, they're still using the training materials that I wrote. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. I, I am well qualified for that position. But it was just like, you know, poor wording and stuff. And then I, I contacted the manager and he's like, oh, you want to come back? Yes, yeah. please. <laughs> so the next one is the emperor's new clothes. Uh, the general principle of this one is sometimes mass delusion is a thing, especially around power. Um, that doesn't make speaking truth to power a wise thing to do in all cases. 
this is something that people make a lot of mistakes with when they're younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, you know, age will tell you, okay, like let this thing ride out a little while and let it. And this goes back to something I was telling the, the guy I was training today. It was, you know, we work in a really unique environment where our executive director is personable and has an open door policy. I've worked at other places that were like this, but I've been told that other departments, um, other IT departments within the government are not like this, where the executive directors are kind of off on their own and you don't ever deal with them except for in a few meetings a year. I've worked with, worked in places like that. I can confirm that. And, you know, I have almost daily interaction with ours. Yeah. You know, like, honestly, I could probably send a Slack to her right now and get a response. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that is one of the unique things about where I work. Yeah. And the big thing here is that ideas that sound right and are said by the powerful are often difficult to resist, even if the evidence for them being wrong is completely piled up all around you. For kids, sometimes the leaders can be wrong in obvious ways, and sometimes it's dangerous to acknowledge the wrongness. Uh, like Will said, it's it's a thing about youth. Like, I used to be really bad about this. I, good grief, how many things did I get kicked out of? Like, and I, I go back to church because I grew up as a preacher's kid, but I remember regularly getting kicked out of Sunday school classes because I told the teachers they were wrong. Yeah. And years later, like after we graduated college years later, my dad told me, yeah, every single time you were right. But yeah. I couldn't tell you that because, you then know. Then you'd continue doing it. Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. like, it, it wasn't the, a matter of being right or wrong, because in my mind, that's what it was. It was a matter of you are teaching the wrong thing. Right. And from their angle, it was less majest. Yeah. Right. You don't insult the king. Right. And you know, kids need to learn to evaluate things on their own um, and make their own decisions based on the evidence they can gather, not appeals to authority or peer pressure. Because peer pressure is something that kids are going to have to deal with. Unless they're a very, very rebellious child and peer pressure causes them to do the exact opposite yeah. Um, which those exist, the two of us. For adults, there are a lot of things that you're being told in popular culture that are easy, easily, trivially provable to be wrong. Um, but point out the emperor's tan lines and face the headsman. Just because you suspect something to be true doesn't mean you have to talk about it. Act on it if it is to your benefit, but sometimes keeping your mouth closed is the best option. Yeah. And I'll... I'll give an example that's probably a little bit more neutral because we get into politics that gets nasty really quick. And, Mm -hmm. you know, again, you're pointing out the emperor's tan lines, but think about diet. You go on a low carb diet. There's always somebody that wants to tell you you're wrong. And, you know, the American Medical Association says this and da, 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 da. And you're like, I've got evidence. I lost 20 pounds doing this. You know, you did a diet for longer than I did and it was a harder diet and you lost three pounds. But if you just shut up and you go, yeah, I just want to eat these things. And you don't ever say anything, you can still act on information without having to get the validation from other people that you're right. Though that validation does feel good. Yeah. Well, and that's why people go for it, mm-hmm. right? The truth tends to win out over time, regardless of what you think about it. Yeah. And this is something that over time is a big thing. Yeah, because over how long? Yeah, because it, it could be over decades or very easily. That said, when the truth starts coming out and it starts becoming obvious, it's kind of like a dam breaking. That's when you jump in on it. 
you don't be the kid that points out the emperor's naked. You be the person in the crowd that's, you know, the third or fourth one to start laughing. For developers, there's a lot of popular ways to do things that can be totally destructive on your project, even though they're accepted practices across the rest of the industry. Yeah. And I'll, you know, I'll give a lot of examples. Uh, microservices. ORMs. Serverless computing. Um, agile practices in some oh, yeah. environments. Agile becomes a way to micromanage people. If you don't have the right kind of boss, you don't want to be in an agile shop. Yeah, that's that's very true. The thing about these things is they solve a large range of problems, but there are also times where they make the problems worse. And that's something that we talked about in the Code Smells episodes, where it was, hey, this is a code smell because it tells you to look at this, but that way of doing it may be better than the other options. Yeah. So just because it smells doesn't mean it's the worst code. Right. Or, or doesn't that mean it's even wrong. It. Yeah. Just understand that just because everyone else is using a particular set of tools for a job that doesn't make it the right set of tools. You have to evaluate these things on your own. You don't want to let the popular culture, you know, especially in software development, decide that for you because you'll end up going down a lot of rabbit holes on stuff that's, you know, tech that's going away. Mm-hmm. because the popularity falls off when something new comes and it falls off really quick. So just be, be a little careful with that. The next one, Snow White. Uh, the general principle here is that a cornered leader unwilling to give up power is a risk to everyone around her. Um, you thought it was about Snow White. It's not. It's about the queen. Right. It's essentially a tale of a beleaguered member of an older generation unwilling to give up power, the power of beauty in this case, um, to an upstart. The queen ultimately ends up a victim of her own unwillingness to let go of power. Or share the power. Yeah, or share it. She doesn't have to give up power. She could share the power and and still have power. Imagine how people would remember the queen from Snow White had she stepped back and had been willing to advise and work with Snow White to turn her into a wise ruler in her own turn. Oh, she would have been thought of as the greatest queen ever. And it would have been her story. Right. Because Snow White would have been, it would have been like a redemption story for the, for the evil queen. Yeah. Not a, you know, Prince Charming kisses the sleeping princess. Like that would be an afterthought mm-hmm. in the story because her, her story arc would be the story arc. Right. It totally would have, have been that way. You know, it wouldn't have been a, you know. She could have had more power had she let go of it. Yeah. Yeah. She, well. Yeah, she could have been she, higher up because you let go of power the higher up you go. Yeah. Yeah, and, and what this makes me think of, and, and this is, you know, sorry to bring in a sports metaphor to the non-sports people, but, you know, it, it, it's, to me, it's hockey season. Like, it, we're, we're hardcore hockey season right now. And it makes me think of Wayne Gretzky. So, you know, he has the nickname of the great one in hockey, and he's just like the greatest hockey player of all time. And you know what record he holds that no one has ever come close to? The number of assists. Yeah. Like he holds, you know, the the number of goals, but his number of assists is almost twice as much as his number of goals. And and that's the thing. He became the greatest hockey player of all time because he was willing to let other people make the goal. Yeah. And that's what a good manager does. Right. And the lessons for children here is, you know, don't take food from strangers. And that's <laughs> um that's meta- that's more metaphorical than literal, right? Yeah, like yeah. taking food from strangers, yeah, bad idea, but at a metaphorical level, that also applies. Those in a disadvantaged position need to learn to understand the difference between 
charity given to help and charity for other reasons. Right. And there's a quote from Silence of the Lambs. Uh, that's when the fox hears the rabbit scream, he comes a running, but not to help. That applies there. That's the idea. Be suspicious of the free gift. Don't, you know, distrust the free lunch if you go to the 48 Laws of Power. For adults, uh, beware the motivations of people in positions of power lest you fall afoul of them. Uh, don't take things at face value. Understand that your boss may value input, but it has to be useful to achieve their goals, not yours. This is why we talk about putting things in terms of how it can benefit the business or for me working at the state, how it can benefit the department or things like that. I'm reminded of I got pulled off of my project to help complete another one. This happens to me apparently a lot, but uh, I've got one sprint. Um, actually, I think we extended it to just a full month to to get this project to completion after a developer left. And I went into my first backlog refinement meeting and I was trying to get some information from the business people who, who were building this for, and I wasn't coming across clearly. So I just stopped what I was saying. I stopped trying to get them to, to explain it to me. I said, look, you have a certain line of business that you're trying to do. My job is to build software that makes your job easier. So you can do more of it in less time. So I need to know this particular information in order to make your job easier on you so you can focus on more important things than just data entry. When I put it that way, I, I saw it in his eyes. It clicked. And he's like, oh, I know what you mean now. And yeah. he was able to describe to me exactly what I was asking for. Yeah. It's just the way you word things can have a significant difference. Um, another lesson for adults in this is to be very careful with gossip. This is one of those kind of deals. It can be really tempting to listen to what other people say. In other words, the food that they're feeding your ears. Right. Right. Uh, but you have to be aware that it's often used to distract from what they do. Just ask yourself if you aren't seeing this in, I don't know, say current U.S. politics. I think not just current, but in... Like the entire time, like back to, I don't know, Cotton Mather. All politics. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know, any, like, I, I look back at things and I think, you know, oh, it's so, cause you know, you hear people, oh, it's just, it's so like such a hostile environment. And you go back and you're like, you don't see the hostility because of the flower, because of what is now flowery language. Yeah. But like you go back to like just after the revolution and people were calling each other traitors. Yeah. You know, in, in like their political campaigns and stuff like that. I mean, it is there and it, it's, it goes all the way back to Rome. Yeah. Well, it goes all the way and, and further. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you look at the way that, that politicians and the way politics works. It's like, it is a derisive thing. Yeah. And it's important to understand that that when somebody's offering you gossip, there's a reason for it and it's probably not to your benefit. Versus going, oh, yeah, this is to my benefit, and I'm just going to pick all this up, and I'm going to run with it. You need to understand where it's coming from. That's the true gossip. Collect the gossip all you want, but learn from, try to figure out people's motivations based on it and act on that, not on what you're told. For developers, don't become the old cranky developer who tries to squelch change. Or don't become the young cranky developer who goes, that can't happen because that's not the way I built it. That doesn't make any sense. I'm not speaking from experience here at all. I've never said those words <laughs> ever in the past two hours. 
<laughs> it's really easy to get attached to your position, but remember that you can't move up if you can't be replaced. Uh, this doesn't mean being for change for its own sake, because that's very damaging uh, by itself. You have to be willing to try new things so you can move ahead. This is one of the things I really like about where I work, because we are a rather young team, and we're a very hungry team. Like We're wanting to learn and grow and... You know, we're, I'm actually on the, the most outdated UI of all of the teams because we're using Angular JS and everybody else is on Angular 5. Yeah. Like when we started this, Angular JS was the thing. And now everybody's moved up to Angular 5. And like when we finish this project in a few months, we get to start a new one in Angular 5. Yeah. Now imagine if you were the curmudgeon that was not wanting to move forward because. The new stuff, it's its too complicated. It's got a build process. It's got all this translation. I don't want to learn TypeScript. What are you talking about? Right? Like, if you were that guy, yeah. uh, the next one, Hansel and Gretel, uh, the general principle, sometimes people abandon you to starve because doing otherwise just means that you'll starve with them. Sometimes people feeding you well don't have good intentions either. Yeah, Hansel and Gretel's parents left them in the woods to starve so that the whole family wouldn't starve. And then they were taken in by a witch that was fattening them up to eat them. Yeah. So the good and the bad things that happen to you, you know, that, that people do to you, yeah, look be, at the people's intentions. Yeah. Be very careful about your analytical overlay on your experiences. Yeah. Um, because it's not necessarily always what you think it is. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Like the, the millennials call it being meta. Yeah, I guess. And it, it kind of is. That, that's something that um, I guess our generation, and, and I don't count myself as a millennial, the Zennials, Gen Y, Gen X, whatever. Um, we're all fairly cynical. Yeah, well, we're, we're cynical, but it, it was what we would call being self-aware a- and be aware of the motivations of what's going on around you. Yours and other people's. Right. And, you know, one way to do this is to, you know, when you're having an experience, you know, dealing with somebody, think about the best reason why they might be doing that. Mm-hmm. And then think about the worst reason and then look at their behavior and see which one matches more closely. Right. And it may not be like the absolute best or the absolute worst, but yeah. it will be, that is a spectrum to go, all right, here's where it falls on this spectrum. Yeah. Here's, here's the one it's closer to. Right. For children, the goal is to help them understand the difference between action that hurts and the intent behind that action. Just because the van says free candy doesn't mean that you should go up and ask for some. Just because someone seems mean doesn't exactly mean that they are doing it out of a personal animus towards you. They may just be stuck. They That may just be their communication style. Yeah. We've talked about communication styles. They may just, it may seem mean to you. So going back to communication styles, one of the things we talked about is there is a certain style that when communicating with another style, that other style seems like mean and angry and just like a horrible, evil person when the other person is just trying to say, hey, this is the best way to do it. But that's their way of saying this is the best way to do it. Right. Or they're blunt or they're short or whatever. And, you know, the thing is, if if you use a lot of flowery language and you take a long time to say something, you know. The other person's perception may be this person doesn't respect me because they're wasting my time. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, today, Cody, who's been on the podcast, um, he was in a meeting with some other people and they were 
the conference room they, they had reserved was too small. So they come out and we're in our open area for the meeting. And it was like an all day long meeting. So they're taking breaks throughout the day. And I had sent him some information and I noticed, Hey, like half the people at the table are gone. So I walked up and I was going to talk to him about what I'd sent him earlier. I was like, Hey, did you get this that I sent you? He's like, yeah, I got it. I haven't had a chance to look at it. We're, we're talking about something important right now. Uh, you know, I'm like, all right, cool. I walked away. Me in college or five, six years ago would have been like, why is he mad at me? Yeah. And so like afterwards, I just wanted to make like, I still have that deep down. I'm like, I wanted to make sure that he understood I wasn't being, wasn't trying to interrupt. So like when I saw him walk away from the table, I'm like, Hey man, I'm sorry for interrupting you guys. I, you know, I I thought y'all were on a break. He's like, Oh, we were, you were okay. We were just discussing a serious topic and I didn't want to interrupt that topic. I figured you and I could talk later. Yeah. And, And it was just his communication style is, it comes across as abrupt when he really, he's trying to be polite. Yeah. And, you know, understanding that I walked away and I'm like, all right, he wasn't being rude to me. He was just being, you know, Hey, not right now. And the thing about this is this doesn't excuse behavior, right? It's, but it's important for children to realize that people may behave very differently when they're not stuck. Mm -hmm. Essentially, you know, you'll run into, you know, for instance, school teachers. Like I had one uh, gym class, sixth grade, she was going through a bad divorce. She was dealing with me as a juvenile, plus the kids, you know, like most of the class was worse than me. Yeah. And you can imagine how I was as a juvenile by how mouthy I am now. <laughs> uh, and she had to deal with this bunch of kids in a environment that was not supportive yeah. and all this other stuff is going on. And, you know, we thought, oh man, she was mean. She was hateful, all this stuff. But it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know how, I don't know how else she could be. In that situation, like as an adult, I can look back and go, uh, you know. It also may have to do with your communication protocol. So Hers was throwing jump ropes at kids' heads, but I mean. That's not the best. For adults, uh, you need to realize that everyone has their own agenda, including the people in charge of that company that is just like a family. Uh, the big thing to realize is that assistance from other people isn't offered because of who you are, but because of who they are. It might mean that the people that say this don't mean it or that the people that don't say it do. You've seen this yourself with people who will give you a hard time all the time, but they'll be the first to jump in to defend you later. Oh, You've this- also seen it with people that are nice to you face to face and then backstab. Oh, yeah. Well, th- this is the whole, the first one is the whole, what's the way you and our other friend from college and I are? Yeah. We'll, we'll be the meanest thing we can. That's the way I am with my sisters. Yeah, like I will say the meanest thing in the world to him, but if you said something mean about him, yeah, there's gonna be a, a fist in your face. Yeah, you exactly. know that, and, and that's that's the thing. It's like I can pick on them, but no one else can. Yeah, and it's the it's the same with uh, with my team at work. Like we'll pick on each other, we'll joke with each other. Like you know, I was introducing the new guy to some of the other API developers, and one of the front end developers came up and introduced herself. And I was like, yeah, but she doesn't matter. She's a front end developer. And it was just because we've got it's that banner. Really, yeah. It was banter. And she's like, don't listen to BJ. He doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, it was like back and forth. But if someone else had said that to her. Yeah. Oh, I would have been in their face. Yeah. You know, or if someone else had said that to me, she would have been in their face. That's just the, that kind of thing. And, and so it also helps you understand. Like, I remember growing up, I was picked on a lot in elementary school. Yep. To the point that my parents let me leave the school I was at 
And after I left, I had perfect attendance for the first time in my life. That's how big of a difference it made. I had friends at school for the first time after I left. I can remember being in like fourth or fifth grade. I don't remember which one. And just complaining to my dad and being like, you know, I I can't stand this. Everybody's mean to me. They pick on me. They do these mean things to me. I really want to go to school with my friends from church who all went to the same elementary school. Yeah. And I wanted to go to school with my friends. And my dad was like, oh, no, they're they're not being mean. That's just, you know, that's their way of saying they like you. Yeah. And it took years for them to realize, no, I wasn't just being whiny. I was being like, hey, they're really not nice to me. Yeah. And it's it's weird how that you really have to kind of dig at it to try to get your perception right. Because I remember, uh, you know, a guy that I thought was bullying me was just giving me crap. I was helping him with algebra. And, you know, he was just constantly giving me crap. But this this other kid, this dude was a senior. I was a freshman. This was the first part of freshman year. And I, I helped him through you know, algebra class. And, you know, he was always kind of picking at me and giving me crap. And I was like, man, you really can't stand me, I guess, you know. But he was huge, so I didn't want to tick him off. Yeah. You know. But this other kid started picking on me. And he just picked the guy up and said, no. And set him back down. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was just like the Jolly Green Giant picking up Sprout. Yeah. <laughs> it was just... Yeah, this conversation is over. Well, the and, and the last story I'm going to tell us, like our friend Jason that, that yeah. we talked about that passed away. Um, a year ago tomorrow after this airs. Yeah, that's true. Wow. That kind of that kind of hits home. Anyways, I, I miss him a lot. There's a lot of times I see stuff that I'm like, like my first thought is, oh, I got to tell Jason. And then I, you know. You realize me. you can't. Yeah. yeah. But um, we picked on him like he was just one of us. Like yeah. We treated him just like yeah. he was eating. Even though he was sick, because yeah. we realized that he didn't want to be. And his grandmother asked him one time, she's like, why do you like to hang out with those guys? They're mean, and they're rude to you, and they say mean things to you. And he's like, those guys, those guys treat me like I'm not sick. They're yeah. the only friends I have. Well, that- he threw it right back to oh, us. He, <laughs> I mean, he so did. But he's like, they're the only friends that don't treat me like I'm going to break. Yeah. If they say something mean to me, it's like, that's why they're my best friends is because these guys treat me like one of them. Yeah. And I'm not sick to them. I'm just one of the guys. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I'm tearing up right now talking about this. Uh, but you know, that when his grandmother told me about that, uh, at his funeral, that just like, yeah, I broke down at that point, but you but know, that's it, how it was. Yeah. That's, that's just, and that's true. Like we didn't, like I didn't think of him as being, Someone who had an illness. I thought of him as the guy that's been my best friend since I was five, you know? And, and so that's, that's one of those things that you, you get out of this. Yeah. And it's, it's better to be optimistic. I mean, realize that good intentions are kind of the default mode for a lot of people. I, I like to try to assume the best about people generally when I first meet them, uh, because optimism seems to be a good working model, at least if, you know, the interaction is in good faith. But, it's also risky to assume that people are entirely altruistic and don't have their own agenda. So you, know, you start with optimism and then you evaluate. For developers, don't take being laid off personally. Also, don't assume someone who is willing to pay out the nose to hire you is doing so entirely for your benefit. Actually, don't assume they're doing it for your benefit at all. Right. You don't want somebody like that. You, no. you want to be there because you provide value. Unless you're really getting fired, like straight up fired instead of laid off, uh, being laid off is not really a statement about you personally. Uh, it's a statement about the company's finances. 
Yeah. And we've had several episodes about how to recognize that yeah. when it's coming. And on the other side, don't assume that a company being willing to pay you a high pay rate is doing so because they think you are the best thing since sliced bread. I remember when I was going through some, you know, my really rough times, the very first client that I worked on was a friend who you'd done some work for and someone I'd known for about 15 years. Yeah. And he knew I was going through a really rough time and probably paid me more than I was worth for the work that I did. But he did so more to help a friend. Yeah. Than that. And that's a different case. But, you know, you, it, the whole point here is look at the motivation, look at the reason behind things that are happening. And his reason was, hey, you know, this guy's a friend of mine and I can help him out of a tough situation. Yeah. And help him turn it around and get some experience. Yeah. You, you know, these things are kind of a result of the market more than, more than anything else. Um, Sometimes a company just needs warm bodies Mm -hmm. and it's not that you're the greatest. It's that you're, you're there. Or sometimes you'll find somebody. um, I had somebody that wanted me to be a business partner and I was a business partner for a brief while. um, And I, I realized looking back, it's like, it's not because I was great. There were other developers, there were better developers he was connected to, but I was green. And as a result, he could get me to work 80 hours a week and mm-hmm. do all kinds of crap that, you know, a, a typical junior developer wouldn't do. A typical junior developer wouldn't clean up cat crap, right? A typical junior developer wouldn't answer the phone at a small business and yeah. be trying to work and be expected to be productive. You know, so that was a situation where it's like, yes, this helped me out, but you know, I understand that the thumb was on me mm-hmm. the whole time. And also understand that, you know, someone else may come along that is just as good or even better than you. Yeah. And, you know, there's there's a little bit of competition where I work amongst the junior developers, you know, to be the best. And it's a friendly competition because it's like, you know, when one of us... When you one up somebody else and you show them how you did it. Yeah, that's, and that's it exactly. Resets. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what it is. And it is... It is great. I mean, that's one thing I love about where I work is we have this healthy competition of, all right, I'm going to find a better way to do what we're doing and then show it to everybody so everyone can do it. And then the next person can come along and I may not get the next one, but they're going to bring something to me that I'm like, oh, you know, that's awesome. I hadn't even thought about that. And so that's, that's. I've worked in a lot of environments like that. Um, The one I'm in right now, I'm the, I'm the senior.net. Yeah. Guy. And that's something I kind of miss because I'm having to, um, you know, to a large degree, I, I kind of have to be the one to push myself. Mm-hmm. And that's hard to maintain. So fairy tales may have useful or valuable lessons for those willing to learn from them. Even for those of us in technology heavy careers, such as software development, learning the lessons imparted by fairy tales can be just as valuable in the warm glow of a monitor in a big city as it was in the flickering light at the edge of a campfire. This was a weird episode and we kind of hope you enjoyed it, even though it didn't come out at the usual time and didn't contain the usual content. That pretty much wraps us up. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, we touched on the idea that, uh, you know, fairy tales and mythology are sort of a shared vocabulary. And you'll see this in companies um, as well. Like companies develop their own internal fairy tales. You know, you'll hear... Uh, stories from older developers about how things were or, you know, really messed up situations that they lived through. And I want to suggest to you that you try to elicit those 
Um, elicit those stories when you are interviewing. Elicit them as you're working there. You know, as you're moving along, pass them on. You know, even write your own. Uh, the point of this is that this integrates you better into the team. Uh, it gives you know a shared mythos is a very very powerful. Uh, this is something that's very common in a lot of the big tech companies. You know, Google has got this down pat. Um, Apple has got this. All these little scrappy tech startups where they started in a basement and then they built up and they're these huge companies. Now, those stories are still going around. The leading managers are still talking about this stuff. So get in and learn the mythology of the company that you are working in and learn what you can learn from it. And you'll be a better employee and a better developer. That's all I've got. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.